Losing Weight to Gain Control. Today's episode Fit and Fabulous Weight Loss with Dr. Orlina Carrick. Welcome to today's episode of Losing Weight to Gain Control podcast. This is Gwen Alexander, your host. In today's episode, we have a special guest, and that special guest is Dr. Orlina Carrick. Dr. Orlina trained as a pediatric doctor in the UK. In 2011, she moved to Spain with her husband and two young kids. To cut a long story short, she accidentally lost her medical career and turned to the internet to keep herself busy, initially as an outlet from parenting. She started off helping parents of picky eaters teach their children healthy eating habits. The loss of her career, or self-identity, combined with parenting four young children, because twins came along in 2012, led to an inner emotional turmoil. When she looked at herself, she didn't see the happy, joyous mother she aspired to be. When her husband became unwell, She realized that they both needed to prioritize self-care. In the last few years, she has pivoted to teaching frustrated professional mothers to lose weight by leading a healthy life so they can feel fit and fabulous. The four pillars of self-care that she teaches are nutrition, exercise, sleep, and emotional wellness. She draws from her own experiences, still walking the trenches of parenting, as well as the latest scientific research and thinking. Dr. Orlina is also the host of the podcast, Fit and Fabulous at 40 and Beyond. And here is the episode with Dr. Orlina Carrick. Welcome to today's episode of the Losing Weight to Gain Control podcast. And today we have a special guest with us. We have Dr. Orlina Carrick, and she is a pediatric doctor turned health coach. And she teaches frustrated professional moms to lose weight by leading a healthy lifestyle so that they can feel fit and fabulous. And she is also the host of the podcast by the same name, Fit and Fabulous After 40. And welcome, Dr. Alina. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, so um, I really love your focus. One of my goals that I like like to have is trying to get the whole family involved in not, not necessarily weight loss, but healthy eating together. So it's not just one thing one person in a family does and the rest of the family does their own thing. But before we get into that today, how about that we start with your story? How did you get into wanting to help people with their getting better, getting healthier and living their best life? Well, that is a very long story. (laughs) But essentially, I decided that I was going to be a doctor. So I trained as a doctor in you can probably tell from my accent that I'm from the UK. And I was doing pediatrics and I loved doing pediatrics. But there was a certain sort of, I don't know, I had other desires in my life that I wanted to do. And to cut a very long story short, I ended up moving to Spain. And we've been here now around nine years. And what I say when I talk about moving to Spain is I moved with my eyes wide shut. (laughs) And I thought it was just going to be an easy transition and that, you know, I would just come across and work as a pediatric doctor. And that didn't really happen. And I had 
well, at the time I had two young children, so they were one and two basically. And then later on I had twins. So I ended up with four children under the age of four and a half. And when I had been a pediatric doctor, I would often get parents coming to me and saying, so what I would see most often was constipation. And, you know, parents would come and say, my child has got tummy ache. And it was quite clear by talking to them that children didn't like vegetables. And I would just say to them, well, get your children to eat vegetables because it's really easy, right? Because I had no kids. And then when I had my own kids, I realized that, well, they were picky for a start, but that it isn't as easy as saying, here's some vegetables, eat some vegetables. And, you know, I remember this day when my second child was on the toilet and he was just crying in pain because he was constipated. And you know, I thought I was doing a good job feeding my children a healthy diet. But really and truly, I mean, you know, I I was doing the best I could at the time. But when I looked, I thought, "Hmm, you know, there is room for improvement. So I did a lot of work on helping picky eaters, families of picky eaters and healthy eating as a family. But, you know, I had all, all the answers, but I also had my own frustrations, because it is really frustrating when you have kids. And my youngest, one of the twins, he's super, super fussy and very anxious. And that often goes hand in hand. And I think about a year and a half ago, I essentially decided that I want to, what they say, pivot and start talking to mothers and and, um, working with mothers. And, you know, a, a lot of women want to lose weight. And for me, it's about healthy eating and healthy living, as opposed to essentially weight loss. For me, in the background, they're pretty much the same thing. And one of the reasons that I wanted to make that pivot was because one of the best ways of teaching your children healthy eating is to demonstrate it yourself and to eat as a family. And what I, yeah, exactly. And what I realized was that a lot of um, families, they wanted to teach their children healthy eating, but they weren't demonstrating healthy eating themselves. And it's kind of impossible. You can't expect your children to, you know, eat healthily if you're not showing them how to do it because children learn by copying. So that sort of brings us up to speed. And really, I focus on mothers, but also mothers who want to teach their children healthy eating, because we know how important healthy eating is, and how it's super important for as we grow older for avoiding diseases. And most importantly, for feeling fit and fabulous. And that's really where I think, you know, we can make so much change to our lives is that we can feel full of energy. And often mothers don't but just by paying attention to how we eat and how we live our lives. No, I totally agree with you about getting children to eat healthy. Uh, I grew up in the southern part of the United States, and our motto was, you know, we don't live to eat. Wait, we don't eat to live. We live to eat. So it focused around food, but our food was usually deep fried, lots of grease. Uh, There were no vegetables. If you had a vegetable, it was usually in grease. I mean, that was just the way we cooked. And I remember I had a weight problem as a child and they would tell me, well, you need to eat less or you need to eat this and that. But I thought, well, I want to eat what you're eating. So why do I have to eat different? And as you said, it's children will imitate what they see their parents do, not necessarily what you say. So I love that that you brought that up. How do you how do you help your children to eat healthy? If like you mentioned, if you have a picky eater, it's not just as easy as saying, here's your plate of vegetables, eat them type deal. So how do you? I wish. I wish it was. <laughs> so what are some things that you you uh, tips that you give to help parents say you know here's some some things you can try to get those picky eaters or the ones that say I hate vegetables to want to eat them. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big topic. And what I would say is it is normal for children not to want to eat vegetables. And it's normal for children as well as adults. You know, we have this inbuilt desire to go and seek sugar, to go and seek glucose. And that's one of our, you know, that, that's like we need sleep. We need sugar. And we have this desire. And I think we have to recognize that. However, so it's perfectly normal. So when you talk to a child and say, what do you want to eat? And they say cake. <laughs> That's normal. And in fairness, you know, let's agree with them. I like cake too. But I think as we grow up, we have trained ourselves not to always eat the cake. And I think there's lots of things. So picking eat it, picky eating is like a spectrum. So some children will just say, oh, you know, I don't like mushrooms or I don't like broccoli. I don't like vegetables. And then, you know, going down the scale, you've got children who really, they don't eat very much at all. And Quite often, it's to do with anxiety and their expectations of what, you know, they're scared of a lot of foods and they like things exactly their own way. And when they don't get them, they get upset. And that was definitely my son. So my big, big piece of advice is really not to pressure your children. Having said that, I think you also have to understand your children. So I have four children. And, you know, when I'm talking about my picky eaters, if I or when I was when they were younger, and I would try and push them, particularly the older one into eating, all that does is create a battle. And you aren't going to win that battle. And it's almost as if in their mind, they have a wall which goes, I do not like mushrooms. And you cannot change that by force, you have to change that by stepping into their shoes almost and you know, just waiting, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Now, if I look at different children, I look at my daughter, and she's actually quite a more adventurous eater. But obviously, she likes eating cake and bread and all of these things. And sometimes I have to say to her, have you eaten some vegetables? Can you eat some vegetables, please? So it's about getting that balance right. And it's about knowing your children. And then I think the other really big key is stepping back and looking at your diet as a family. And it's very easy to be eating what we consider reasonably healthy food. So, you know, when I look back two years ago and we were eating quite a lot of pasta and quite a lot of what we call biscuits, so you guys would call cookies, yes. you know, white floury foods. And although I was giving them vegetables, which they clearly weren't eating, I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, it's relatively healthy. Whereas now the foods that we, that I present are, you know, I, the carbohydrates are much, much less and there's much more fruit and vegetables than say five years ago. And when you change what you eat as a family, you're less worried about what your children eat. Because if they've been eating healthy foods like fruit all day for their snack, you don't worry about that meal in, in the evening. It's not like, oh my goodness, you have to eat your broccoli at dinner time because it's the only green thing you've eaten all day. If they've been eating healthily during the day, it takes the pressure off any individual meal. So really and truly, it's about not about any one thing that they eat. It's about training them to love these healthy foods and how do they like healthy foods, essentially by being in, in contact with them the whole time. So, you know, those are the two keys, I think. Not pressuring, knowing your child and not pressuring, and really looking at the food that you eat as a family. And obviously, if you're somebody who wants to lose weight, then that's a really useful thing to do because that's the key to you losing weight as well. Yes, I have a friend that her children actually love vegetables. She asked her daughter, what's your favorite food? And she actually said broccoli. And she's only four years old. But that's something that they've incorporated into their lives. So that's normal for her. But she likes her, she likes her uh, 
cupcakes too. That's her favorite, but she knows that's not something that mommy's going to have all the time. So they have a balance. I think it's about balancing, showing your kids that there's not necessarily, this is a bad food. This is a good food. So, you know, you need to stay away from these bad foods because I think, of course, that makes them want to gravitate to what we call the bad food, you know, the sugars and sweets and things like that. I like that thinking. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about also was, you know, you talk about helping moms. And I am a big proponent of if you can get mom to to feel her best, then the children can sense that. Children are very perceptive. I was when I was a kid. I actually was talking to my mom about this yesterday because she struggled with her weight. I was telling her how, you know, I, I still struggle with not wanting to eat my emotions. And she said, oh, you got that from me. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's nice, <laughs> but we're still working on that. But um, what's some of the things that you, you try to help the moms with? I know it's not, it's yes, it's food and exercise, but do you also help them with some of the mil- mental part of feeling better yeah. and losing weight? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I 100% agree with you. And I have this lovely quote, which I love, which is, you know, the best thing a mother can give their children is her own happiness. And I really think that that's true, that, you know, exactly as you say, if we turn up, as happy parents, our children benefit hugely and they learn to be happy. Whereas if we turn up as stressed and worried and essentially not happy, of course, we aren't going to turn up to be the best mothers that we want to be. So yes, you've touched on two points. So first of all, I totally agree about emotional eating. And, you know, it's one of the things that can really stem from a young age. And, you know, I think if the mother has that emotional eating, then it needs to be cleared up. But also one thing that I really encourage people not to do is not to reward um, any behavior with food. So totally make that that connection separate because we do as parents, it is a natural thing. And I remember doing it with my young, my oldest child when he was young. You know, if you get in the car seat nicely here, you can have a cookie until I realized that that is really setting up a link between your emotions and your food. So whatever it is, whether it's something healthy or not healthy, you know, don't use food as any kind of way of changing your child's behavior. So to answer your question about um, happiness, yes, I, you know, when I look at weight loss, I think the first thing that you need to think about is food. That's the most important thing. And obviously, exercise and sleep are close behind. But I think mindfulness and the way we think about things is a big key to it as well. And so I, when I work with my clients, I do lots of work on, you know, how we think about things, and how the way we think about things makes us, you know, it leads to an emotion. And when you have that emotion, then that leads to an action. And then that action leads to another thought. And this spiral goes round and round and round. And we can break that spiral wherever we, wherever we want. And we can either have a spiral that, you know, goes downwards, which, you know, as a mother, you know this spiral. And often it will be amongst the whole family. So, you know, someone's a bit grumpy and then they start hitting their sibling or they jump on your head or something like that. And then everyone gets a little bit grumpy and then we start acting in ways that we don't want to. And suddenly we've gone down this negative plug hole. And it doesn't have to be in a family. It can be the way we think about things. So it might be, oh, my goodness, I'm not good enough. Or, you know, I'm not as good as those other people. I didn't do that as well as I could have done. And that leads us to emotions of frustration and upset. And that might lead us to, if if we've got that connection of emotional eating, you know, that might lead us to then go and eat a cake that we don't particularly want to and then we start having more thoughts about how guilty we feel and you know that's the negative plug hole 
But what we want to do is break that spiral down that negative plug hole. And what I say, spiral up the golden, the golden, not the plug hole, you know, the golden upwardsness. And we want to, so you can break it at any place. You can create thoughts that are more positive. Now, obviously, you can't lie to yourself and start thinking things that you don't actually believe, but you can create a thought which is closer or something which is more positive. So, you know, thinking about, oh, my goodness, I'm an awful mother. You might think, well, I'm doing the best that I can, given that I'm so tired or, you know, in the circumstances I have. And you can be more kind. And I always say, treat yourself as you would treat your friends. Because, you know, when we're talking to our friends, we're always kind to our friends. But when we're talking to ourselves, we're always mean to ourselves. So we can start having those more positive thoughts. And we can create emotions as well. Emotions, I think, can be a little bit more difficult to generate. But, you know, think about putting on some happy music. That always changes your emotions, doesn't it? If you're feeling sad and you put on happy music, you can change your emotion or vice versa. And you can also change your emotions by, you know, mindfulness techniques like meditation and things like that. And obviously, you can change your actions as well. But what you don't want to do is change your actions entirely by themselves, because when you're doing that, you're basically using discipline, you know, that sort of, I have to do it like this. And when you do that, you can do it for a short period of time, but it's not sustainable. You can't use discipline as a way of changing anything for a long period of time, because after a while, your brain just gets a bit tired and goes, yeah, I can't be bothered to do this. So those are the the, the aspects that I look at and you know, I think it's a fascinating topic that essentially how we think changes our actions. Yes, I had someone reach out to me. I wrote a short book called Losing Weight to Gain Control. And uh, one of the ladies that read it came to me after and said the emotional eating part was the part that got her because she's got two kids and her oldest daughter struggles with her weight too. Everybody I talked to, it seems like, yeah, I might, you know, I eat my feelings or I call it the invisible weight. So you're, you know, even if you're not, physically maybe heavier, you have this stuff where you're using food to kind of self-medicate, like what you talked about. So I usually tell them, why don't, you know, you need to kind of, you need to write, write down what is bothering you. Because a lot of people don't, don't realize that they think about it, then it's gone, but they, they don't really tie it down. So I tell them, now, once you figure it out, make a plan. Okay, every time I have this feeling, instead of going to the refrigerator, I'm going to go take a five minute walk. It's kind of a behavior modification because that's kind of what I had to do. Like I told my mom, when I figure out what's bothering me, instead of going to get the candy bar, now I I stop and figure out, okay, what can I do to fix the situation? If there's nothing I can do, it's like, well, why are you worrying about it? it? It's hard, especially if you do have children, I think, because you're so worried about the kids to make sure I take care of the kids. Do you find that many of the mothers that you work with that they like you said, they forget about themselves so much. And usually by the time they think about themselves, maybe the kids are older and then maybe they have a lot of health problems that they have to try to address at the same time. Have you found that in your practice? Yes, definitely. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, in my own personal journey and moving to Spain as well, I realized that I say I accidentally lost my career, but I think also I lost my, my looking after myself, my sense of myself. And I think it is something that an awful lot of women go through you know think back to when we were young and you know whatever dreams we had and whatever it was that we were doing at that time and then suddenly we have children and our lives change entirely and it is understandable because that baby 
they need care 24 hours of the day. And we get used to looking after that baby and putting someone else's needs before our own. And then gradually that baby grows up and we kind of forget that we can take back our own life and start to care for ourselves. But yes, definitely. I think that women, well, parents, but you know, I work with women mostly, but they are just hopeless at putting themselves, you know, taking priority for themselves. And that's why I go back to that quote of, you know, the best thing that a, a mother can give their children is her own happiness, because you have to stop feeling guilty about making time to look after yourself yep. and think that once I once I take that time to look after myself, actually, I have more time to give to my children because I have more energy and I'm going to turn up as someone who's happy and smiling and, you know, everything starts to fall in your, into place. But the very first step is, as, as you were talking about, self-awareness and understanding. So, you know, thinking about these emotions, the first step is to realize that we have those emotions. And it's the same with self-awareness. That first step is to realize that we aren't looking after ourselves and that something somewhere isn't right, whether it's, you know, emotional eating or just feeling tired the whole time, not doing enough exercise, whatever it is, understanding that and then working out what exactly it is you're going to do about it. Um, One thing I wanted to ask you about also is I see your motto also you have that healthy eating doesn't mean denying yourself. I love that because my big thing was I love cookies and sweets, but I started finding a better substitute for those items instead of buying the cookies off the shelf. Maybe, okay, I'll make my own cookies and that way I have control of what goes into it. So how do you help the ladies that you help with not denying themselves, but trying to define that balance? You know, you can still eat your favorite foods also. Yeah, I I think it's a really interesting topic, this, because a lot of people, you know, you don't want to deny yourself something. But when we think about restriction, we often think, okay, well, if I restrict myself, that means I can't have it. And that's not true. But I think there's a difference between restriction and limits. So, you know, it's okay to set limits and go, and, and equally with children, I think limits is another important aspect that children need to learn. But that doesn't mean to say, okay, I eat cake, but I don't eat cake every single day for every single meal. Clearly, that would be too much cake. But it's fine to have cake from time to time. And it depends where you are, when you're working, you know, in your sort of your journey, as it were. But at the end of the day, when you get to, this is where I want to be. So I teach weight loss in three steps. And the first way I teach it is with what I call a two-week reboot, where really and truly, you know, you do have to retrain the way you the the different foods that you're eating so you're giving up you know things like processed foods and stuff like that and then step two is really the weight loss bit where you're giving your body a chance to lose weight and then step three is where you've got your ideal weight but you understand that balance so you know I can have whatever my favorite food is now obviously you can have whatever your favorite food is during step two but if you're going to eat it all the time and it's something like you know sugar then it's going to be difficult for you to lose weight if you're eating too much of it. So it's about getting balances. And I think it's about setting limits. And as I say, I think that's a really important thing to understand with our children. And there's a lady called Ellen Satter, who is now I want to say she's a dietitian, but I have to check exactly what her role is. But she is sort of like the guru of helping picky eaters. And she recommends that children should only have one portion of dessert. And I have to confess, I used to think Oh, well, you know, you can give them something healthy, like a healthy apple crumble that has no 
sugar in it. And actually, from a nutritional point of view, it's not much different from if they were eating a plate of vegetables. Now, obviously, it's got slightly more sugar in it, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's still to fiber and good things. But actually now, I really do think that it's an important thing to say, okay, one portion of dessert, particularly if you're having it every single night, because it just sets up that this is how much I eat of dessert. I have a portion and then that's it. We stop. And interestingly, there's a piece of research which shows that when you eat dessert, it when you think about it, that you have, you know, that enjoyment at the moment. Oh, my goodness, I'm enjoying eating it. And we always want to eat more, don't we? Everybody wants to eat more dessert. But when you stop eating it and think back afterwards, it doesn't matter whether you had a small portion or a large portion after the event, you enjoyed it the same amount, if that makes sense. Yes. But it's that, that moment and that comes back to being self-aware, doesn't it? Of going, oh, I'm enjoying this so much. But that little voice that has to say, OK, stop now. You've had enough. So did I answer your question? Yes. I, I kind of think of it this way, too. I had to learn portion control was my large thing because as a kid, we had no portion control. It was just you kept eating until everything was gone. Uh, so I had to learn what is, like you said, what's a portion of a certain dessert. Ice cream here was uh, like they would say it's a half a cup. And I'm thinking, who eats a half a cup of ice cream? Nobody, or at least not the people that I know. So when I measured, measured a half a cup, I thought, wow, that really doesn't seem like a lot. But it gave me a sense of reference. And then I started measuring other foods to see what a portion was. But when I started actually eating those portions, like you said, it was enough. And that's something I usually encourage people to try and do. Like get some cheap, like in America, you can buy measuring cups for a dollar where it has the different sizes. And just start measuring out food. You could do that with your family. Let's make a game of it. Let's see, you know, what's what does a half a cup of rice look like? What does... You know, a cook, you know, 200 calories look like maybe with cookies and vegetables and things like that. Um, one thing also that you, you focus on, I was looking at some of your podcast topics, is you mentioned sleep. I think sleep is very important, especially for mothers. I would say new mothers probably don't get any sleep, which I find leads to wanting to eat more because your body's like, I need something, need to stay awake. How, how would you help a mother that maybe is in that phase with, okay, I've still got little ones at home. They still need a lot of attention, even at night, might need some attention. How to try and get restful sleep, let's put it that way, restful sleep. Yeah, I mean, it, the reality is it's really difficult, isn't it? And um, you can't you can't stop your children from waking up. <laughs> Firstly, if, you're, if they're little and you're breastfeeding, you do actually get some hormonal benefits that sort of protect you from from feeling tired during the day. So, you know, if you can breastfeed and obviously breastfeeding helps you to lose weight as well. So those are good things to do. And I think, you know, sleep is super, super interesting. And the reason why when we are sleep deprived, we often don't notice that we're sleep deprived, but it's all hormonal that our cortisol levels go up and it actually drives us to eat more. And that's why we we find that we're, you know, that we eat more. And I notice it. I notice that when I've had a bad night's sleep, you know, I remember this one day Eat, we eat porridge, which I think you guys call oatmeal, um, for breakfast. And I ate my oatmeal and my son decided he didn't want it. And he sort of handed it to me. And without even thinking, I just started eating his until I sort of stopped and went, oh, why am I eating your food? I'm, I'm not hungry. But it was just that you kind of have a blanket around you and you just want to sort of wrap yourself up. And so, you know, I think the number one thing you can do is prioritize sleep. And whether you have children or not, people are not very good at prioritizing sleep because they say, oh, you know, that's the time I have when I get some time to myself. And often people end up 
watching television or being on computer screens, which is not great for your sleep as well. And, you know, then it goes beyond your, you know, it's like 11 o'clock and I have to get up at six o'clock or, you know, whatever the time is. But you often think, okay, I know I need to be in bed at 10.30. Oh, my goodness, it's midnight. What's happened here? And that's just about setting priorities. And once you start to do that and set priorities, and you may find that you need to, you know, give yourself some one, you know, some special time at another time. And that can be something like exercise as well. You know, I definitely started when my children were little, they would go to the swimming pool to have swimming classes. And I realized, well, why don't I just swim as well whilst they're having their swimming classes? And that gave me, you know, a a better chance to go, okay, I don't need that time in the evening so much because I feel like I've had a little bit of a break. You know, at that time, I had four young children, and I kind of felt like I constantly had somebody in my arms, and I just wanted a little bit of personal space. And so in the swimming pool, doing some exercise, that's what I found. And it meant that, you know, I could then have this knock-on effect of of going to, to sleep on time. But I think if you have young children, you just have to take account of that. And if you can, you can have a nap in the afternoon. But you just have to give your body the chance to be able to get that eight-hour sleep. And remember that when you do, it's going to help you turn up to be a better mother. You're going to feel better in yourself. You're going to make better food choices. And it, it just has that spiral. Again, it's that golden spiral that goes up and up. And just these small little things, they feel like they don't have very much, you know, it doesn't make have any effect. But actually, each of these small little things just adds up and adds up until you end spiraling up and find that it all just fits into place. Yes, one thing you mentioned about moms trying to, when the kids are maybe taking a nap, and then they're like, oh, I have to try and get everything done that I can right now. Uh, One of the things I've learned, and I tell my friends or people who ask me questions that, you know what? Those dirty dishes are going to still be there. The clothes will still be on the floor when when you wake up. You know, if you do need to go take a nap or it's time to go to bed. I've never had anybody come into my house and wash the dishes for me. They were still there. So, I mean, I know you don't want them to, to add up. But the thing is, uh, if you can get the rest you need, those things will get done, I think, a little bit quicker. And then you won't snack your way through cleaning your home or whatever other things that you have to do. Your podcast that you have, I wanted to mention that. It's called Fit and Fabulous at 40 and Beyond, right? Did I get it correct? Yeah. Well, I'm over 40. I'm actually, I'll be 44 <laughs> this year. And I'm very happy about that. But uh, I, I have noticed some things about my body changed. And even when I was in my 30s, I, I talked to my listeners about that, that, you know what, your body's going to change one day, especially if you're a woman, when your hormones do really strange things. And I've kind of been going through that. And it's not just me. I'm noticing all, a lot of my friends in our 40s are, are and it's not always just weight gain because I've had to adjust the way I eat. And I don't, I'm sure that some of your clients will probably tell you, well, when I was in my 20s, I had no problem. You know, I just do lots of cardio and then the weight would come off and I got my 30s and it was OK. And now I'm in my 40s and it seems like no matter what I do, things don't move as fast. Have you had some of your clients have that experience? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I did an interesting podcast with um, a doctor who is a, a weight loss doctor talking specifically about menopause and hormones and all of those things. And, you know, I think it's a bit of a controversial subject, but the bottom line is, essentially, it is, it does make it more difficult for us as we get older, for various reasons, but specifically for hormonal reasons. But the good news is, you know, you, there's some things that you can't control and some things that you can control. And I always think we have to come back to basics and think about those four things that we have been talking about. 
So, you know, nutrition, exercise, sleep. Sleep is really, really important. And, you know, this doctor, she said the first thing she does is make sure people get eight hours sleep. If you don't get your eight hours sleep, if you're trying to lose weight, it's not going to work until you've got your sleep. So, you know, that's how important sleep is. And again, going back to mindfulness. And they do play into the these hormones. And so thinking about nutrition, one of the big hormones is insulin. Um, and, you know, when we're eating refined carbohydrates and things that, you know, spike our glucose levels a lot, so bread and pasta and white rice, you know, basically those white carbs, then our glucose, our insulin levels are going to go up higher. And insulin is like a fat storage hormone. And it's almost as if when your insulin levels are high, your body is going store fat, store fat. And obviously, if you want to lose weight, you want the opposite. But you can't do that if your insulin level is high. So you want to think about, you know, different sources of carbohydrates, i.e. vegetables. So vegetables are essentially carbohydrates, but they're much more slow release. And the other thing to think about is thinking about good fats. So specifically, extra virgin olive oil is the one that I really, really recommend. But if you are eating, and I'm not talking about a high fat diet here, I'm not talking about a ketogenic diet, which is, you know, a, a different a different subject, but using good, healthy fat, which don't push up your insulin levels, whereas protein can push up your insulin levels. It doesn't push up your glucose levels, but it can directly affect your insulin levels. So just being aware of those things. But, you know, the bottom line is the, it doesn't matter whether you're 30 or 40 or 50, it's the same things that you need to do. So nutrition and exercise and sleep and mindfulness, they're still the things that, you know, lead to us being fit and fabulous, essentially. And also, uh, I like education. I always talk about educating ourselves. When you were talking about insulin, I actually just did an episode on there on that a few episodes ago, of how our body processes insulin. We hear a lot about it, but I don't think many of us understand exactly what it does and how it affects not just your weight, but just your whole body and how you feel. Uh, so edu- I think education, knowledge of how your hormones affect you, how the, how insulin affects you. I, I am a big advocate also of get your doctor visits. I have thyroid problems too. So I have, I don't know, I have several doctors I see for some health things, but they've all helped me to get it under control. And once the doctors diagnosed me with the issues I have, I was like, oh, everything makes sense now about the anxiety. I had anxiety real bad, some of the depression I dealt with. And I, I think some moms don't realize, especially if they've just had a baby, how their hormones are going everywhere and they don't maybe seek the help that they need. Have, had you seen that in your practice? I know you said you were a pediatric doctor, but did you have moms that said, I don't know what's going on with me. I need help. Well, no, I think most people don't ask for help. And that's the problem. But you know, when you talk about hormones after um, childbirth, yes, definitely. I remember being a new mum and sitting watching television, and there was an advertisement on the television for a bank. And it, it was just one of those silly, I don't know, nothing happened in it. Some people came along singing and dancing. It was like a cartoon thing. And I was in tears over this thing, <laughs> thinking, oh, my goodness, what on earth is wrong with me? And it's just your hormones just, you know, doing seesaw rides all over the place so you'd and- want to go eat a cookie <laughs> or something like yeah, that exactly. but no I uh I like I said I love your your overall focus it's not just food and exercise the food the exercise the sleep the mindfulness it's what I call like I said t- taking care of the invisible things not just the physical part of our weight loss well, so yes but nope. the thing about stress and anxiety is 
that that pushes up your cortisol levels. Yes. And so, you know, it comes back to these hormones again that we don't realize. So in a way, it kind of looks like it's invisible, but it's not invisible. We know that it has a big effect on our body and that, you know, we live in this world of big stress, you know, just things like getting in your car and, you know, we get addicted to this, like, oh my goodness, it's a stressful experience being in the car and I'm worried about people cutting me up and doing this and doing that. And all of that is stress that is adding to that high cortisol level. And cortisol is our stress hormone, but it is another thing that helps us put on weight. So it's like a steroid. You know, if you've seen anybody who has been given hydrocortisone by their doctor, you know, for something like asthma or arthritis, you know, people who have high doses of steroids, and one of the big side effects is they put on weight, yes. you know, they have trunk obesity. And it's the same thing that's going on in our bodies. And but obviously, we can't see it. And you're, and the same thing that you say about insulin, you can't see when your insulin level is high. And you you can't necessarily, you know, it's not like a little blue light goes on, and you realize it, you have to go and get your insulin levels checked by your doctors, or I mean, you can just take care of your diet. And if you have high insulin levels, they will naturally come down. But yeah, these are things that we don't know about. They're sort of invisible inside our bodies. Yes. So I, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. I mean, I didn't know if you had anything else you'd, you'd like to share with the listeners to help them along their journey, you know, encouraging words about not giving up or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about is habits. And I think the key to really making these changes is that you have to instill them as habits. And that's when you can do things without thinking. And the key to habit, as you know, I was talking about discipline, it's not discipline, it's about setting up your life in such a way that it is just easy to do. And by making small changes, you know, one at a time, and we think, oh, goodness, next week, I have to do everything perfectly. Life isn't perfect. None of us are perfect. But we just have to keep going and keep going. And I always say that healthy living is a marathon and not a sprint. And we have to enjoy that marathon and make it fun and easy. And it's perfectly doable. I love that. So if anybody wants to uh, get a hold of you, contact you or look for your, you know, what programs that you have, how can they go about doing that? Thank you. Thank you for asking. My podcast is, as you say, Fit and Fabulous at 40 and Beyond. And my website is Dr. Orlena. So that's D-R and then my name, O-R-L-E-N-A dot com. And, you know, I ha house all the podcasts and, you know, I have a free opt-in, which at the moment is a, a meal plan, but I'm constantly changing it because... <laughs> But at the moment, it's a meal plan of just some healthy recipes for people. So yeah, people can get hold of me there. Okay, I'll put all that in the show notes so that they can get a hold of you and we'll put it all over social media for you. So thank oh. you again for being on the Losing Weight to Gain Control podcast. And we'd probably like to have you back again if that'd be okay. I would love to come back. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. I'm not a medical professional. You should consult with your doctor or medical professional before beginning any weight loss or exercise program.